Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the head of research and chief evangelist at Annuitus, a boutique management consultancy specializing in go-to-market transformation. Prior to that, he served as chief evangelist and head of solutions marketing at Support Logic and spent a dozen years as a marketing and strategy leader with Sugar CRM. Martin Schneider, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Yeah, great to have you. I'm really looking forward to, I mean, the, the, the two companies I mentioned where you've served as chief evangelist are, there's about a 3x difference in size. Um, so like, that's going to be an interesting thing among a variety of other topics, um, including the fact that you're pairing other titles with chief evangelists is something that's come up from time to time, but we're going to start Martin where we always do, which is your thoughts on the most important job of a chief evangelist. Yeah, I think whether you are doing it internally, right. As, as kind of a comms person for the, the internal stakeholders, employees, partners, people like that, uh, to existing customers or to prospects and just people out in the world from a thought leadership perspective, the way I like to look at it is make them believers, right? Make them believe in the why, right? Make them believe in the how, right? Because it's one thing to be a very technical evangelist that that kind of talks about nuts and bolts and speeds and feeds and things like that and, and helps your company differentiate. But at the end of the day, if you're not really telling great stories and you're not making people believe it and say, oh, 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 okay, cool. You know, like it really doesn't resonate and, and, and it's not as effective. So that's the way I've always kind of, you know, really described it. You know, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to make believers of people, right? And, uh, you know, because again, you know, this kind of North Star I've always thought about was, you know, as we move into the subscription economy, everything is a service, especially in tech, right? It's like, you're not really just selling product anymore. You're getting people to join, right? You're getting people to like sign up literally, right? For a subscription and then keep doing it and keep joining and, and, and staying part of that group. And, and they, and they gotta be believers, right? So that's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah. Excellent. I, I feel like, um, so much good stuff in there. I feel like the belief part where you left off there around subscription, not only do we have to like renew the faith or renew the confidence or renew the belief for the subscription itself. But I also feel like um, a key element there is some amount of differentiation relative to competitors, because there are very few things that we subscribe to that we don't have other options for. Talk a little bit about kind of the why and the belief piece relative to differentiation. Yeah, I think, again, it really does come down to, you know, depending, and, and this could be tech, this could be really anything, right? in this world of like the retention economy, if I think we really want to make it even broader, right? Uh, is, is again, like differentiation and connection, right? Those stories you tell need to connect. And that's why, even if I, even if, you know, if I wanted to go all the way back and make this, you know, kind of an advertisement for what Annuitus does and what we do is, you know, we call these things conversation track architectures, like what we, these big transformations, where we really do like bring people's marketing to another level, their go-to-market. 
because we we look at the personas. We're like, who really like who uses your product? Who buys the product? Because we have this thing called a demand experience versus a customer experience. And I'm not going to get into all that. But at the end of the day, right? It's really you know identifying those stories that connect with the right people at the right time at the right stage of the journey, right? And really trying to do your best to orchestrate that on a kind of cross journey and kind of like that constant. You know, I always give the hat tip because Esteban Kolsky, uh, great ex-analyst, great worked at SAP. He kind of invented the infinity loop of the customer journey, right? And and uh, a lot of people stole it, myself included, but but really you know, credit where credit's due. When you think about it that way, your thought leadership, your engagement, all that, you know, from a chief evangelist standpoint, you can't just be talking about differentiation from product perspective, right? It has to be, you know, from, well, well, What's the success I'm going to have? What are the benefits I'm going to have? Why should I continue to use it, right? And and that's where you kind of like, you think about and plotting along that, that infinity loop, you know, what are the types of stories? It's not the same thing every time, but really understanding, you know, what is the persona? And that persona could be the same person, but a different persona mindset down that, that you know, that, that path. So really it's about aligning those stories to where that person is in that journey and doing the best you can around that. Now, again, it, it's, that, that can sound really confusing or it can sound almost like too easy, right? And and it's a bit of art and science, right, to get it right. But but really thinking about it that way, and that's kind of the approach I take, is to is to think like that, right? Is is that differentiation is the kind of we are your trusted advisor through this whole thing, right? And and really trying to do your best there because you're never going to be 100 percent perfect around, you know, the defining customer journeys, defining all these things, because that changes, that's a one-to-one -one thing, right? But if you can understand commonalities, you understand those personas, and you can figure out where those milestones are, you build out your content, your story, even your anecdotes and all the things that you do, uh, the case studies, the things you do around those, and, and you're, you're going to do better than if you don't do that, right? Because you're aligning that a little better. And that's the kind of way I try to think about it. Yeah, uh, give me that term again that you used right off the top of that response. Conversation track. Architecture. Architecture, got it, love it. So this is the idea of having the right stories and the right message at different stages of the journey. Um, I want to get into your role, but before we do, I want to stay high level. Uh, because of the nature of the work that you've done throughout your career and your perspective on marketing and go-to-market in general, um, I want to stay high level and just have you um, validate my own thoughts or not on on this does take a unique role at some level, like essentially some level of free agency inside the organization to engage with internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, prospects, customers, in order to develop some of these tracks, to develop the perspective, yeah. to have the freedom to do that, to draw intersections where these things don't exist. What, I, what I'm asking you to kind of speak to a little bit is, this is a distinct role. It is one that the organization itself does not have in the absence of liberating someone from the traditional operations of the business in order to do this really well and at a high level because so much of it is kind of human to human. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I want to, and I want to answer it, validate whatever you're going to call it, but also yeah. bring up some other kind of kind of interesting points about how kind of sometimes people get get it wrong because of what you're saying. A lot of times I've been kind of like put as like this line from like a CEO or even a CMO or something, and it's like line, and then then here's Martin sitting here, and I think that can be a mistake too because while you have these you you have to have these unique qualities that you talk about, you have to know enough about the product and technology in general to be to be believable 
right, to, to have authority. You need to generate enough good stories where you're not just kind of like taking what product marketing did because you're kind of feeding them those stories a lot more often than you're not and and what demand marketing and the, and brand marketing and that kind of stuff does and and you're not just telling a a just the company story that can sometimes come from like pitch decks and like what what c-level thinks about right uh you need to go beyond that so while sometimes people org it out where it's like here's this smart person who kind of sits here who hopefully will interact with them. If you actually structure it better and actually incentivize the other departments to work with the evangelism role, and some people have multiple evangelists, that's really good. I know Salesforce does. I know, you know, you know, companies do it really well. And, you know, you can actually get a situation where that kind of bi-directionality of it really helps, where that unique skill set of the evangelist, plus like the access and like the expectation of like, time and cycles on the on the departmentals side uh can be really effective in in amplifying and, and getting like exponential both content to all the things i just talked about but also just generating storylines and understanding and sharing of ideas that feed both the evangelist's ability to tell better stories but then also how it kind of trickles down and everybody gets it a little more and understands that these like bigger narratives are far more impactful than just saying product marketing and management kind of know how the product works right because I've actually gone in and worked with product management before and said, hey, you need to write your own press release. You product manager for this feature set that you're working on in this dev cycle for this 90 day, you know, the seasonal release. And tell me, like write a press release for it as if you were giving it to the, to the public. Because most of the time product management doesn't necessarily get that far down the line, right? So when you really start to interlock a little bit more with these departments and understand that you become far more effective, you become better as an evangelist because you're learning more about kind of not just how the sausage is made, but really the the underlying reasoning and where where's the inbound coming for what the roadmap is and all that kind of stuff. But then you're also giving more insight and giving that and it becomes more back and forth. It's not just, oh, here's some stuff that got created by other departments, take it and run with it. No, 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 it becomes way more collaborative. So that's that. And then back to the kind of skill set. Yeah, like I was an analyst. So I was a journalist, then an analyst. Uh, an industry analyst and then got into marketing and then kind of rose up to the marketing. And then it was like, well, I don't want to be a CMO. They always lose their job every 18 months, you know? And I really liked the companies that I worked with and I didn't want to get kicked out because we missed a couple quarters. So I said, what do we do? And I kind of formulate, I was one of the first people to kind of formulate this chief evangelist role because there were technical evangelists and all that. So really building that out. Cause I remember back in like 2012, 13, when I started using that term, the chief evangelist role, people said, what is, you know, people would make religious jokes and they would do all this kind of thing because they'd never really heard it before. But but bringing that storytelling capability from journalism, then that deeper analysis and finding more of like a why from the analyst role and then just understanding the mechanisms of go-to-market from my marketing roles at various, you know, product marketing, corporate marketing, demand and all those things really brought it all together. So I have a unique experience I don't know if you need all that, but but I do believe writers, journalists, people who are good at like synthesizing information into good stories make for a good uh, evangelist. But sometimes those people don't play well with others. So all the things I said about that 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 interaction with the departments, proceed with caution, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So so many directions I want to go. I guess I'll go to 
Something I've heard from a lot of folks when they wind up in an evangelist role, especially when it's new to the organization, is that they maybe go on like a department-by-department tour to start creating some of this interaction. Like, what the heck is this? How could I or my team leverage this person's expertise, time, energy, network, insights, et cetera? Um, In either of your two chief evangelist roles, it sounds like you carved one out, and I assume that was at Support Logic. Um, how did that go for you? Like, how did you create that role out of, out of the situation you were in? And did you have to do like, how did you create some of that uh, effect internally so that you were used the right way? Um, and in a way that people could understand, like, what is he doing now? Yeah. So I got kind of, I got kind of lucky on a couple of fronts. Uh, one of going to support logic, having been also the chief evangelist at, at sugar CRM, uh, there were a couple of people from Sugar that actually went over to Sport Logic, so like kind of inside. So they were actually able to like do some feet on the street for me inside. Now most of those were kind of around sales and other and other areas close to sales, rev ops, and and uh, and sales engineering. So they understood it. But what they what people immediately saw was them pulling me into deals and having these conversations, like they did at Sugar, to like great effect of like quota attainment and other things, right? So sales usually gets it, right? They get like the more smart people you get in the room, whether that's virtual or in the boardroom, the better your situation can be, right? You know, you, you questions get answered, things get framed out. And again, that trusted advisor kind of role can, can happen in, in that scenario. What I did for product management was really take my, and again, this is kind of, again, a little bit of luck, but this is why I always think like people should, you know, there's sometimes people in tech think, well, I'm a product marketer, so I can work in security. I could work in CRM. I could work in this analytics. I try to stick to things that are kind of adjacent because then when I go to talk to product management, I could, I have, I, I've got some chops. You know what I mean? Like they, they know almost immediately that I know what I'm talking about, right? Because what at support logic, we sold into companies that typically had a lot of cases. So I I ran and created a case management product at Sugar. That was like my one of my last big products. So so having that and being able to speak their language of what they were talking to, who they were talking to, what the pain points were and being able to go back and forth with that and talking about like how are we helping them? You you know and and being really open to to learning from them as well, giving them insight and and being like okay, having some street cred but then also being really like, hey, I want to learn like what's been going on. You know, that that always kind of works. And what has always been kind of interesting is like, like GNA, HR, people like that, they kind of get it pretty quickly too, because they do things like, because they really like the in, the, like the internal stuff, right? Like I'm always doing like the company onboarding, telling the story of the company and, 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 and telling our differentiators and that kind of stuff. Because again, good storytelling, compelling, warm, welcoming, fun, like that kind of thing of the, that uh, the traits an evangelist usually has. And GNA just eats that up, right? They're like, yeah, you go do the onboarding, whether, and during COVID you're doing it virtually. So you're just sitting there with a bunch of people on a Zoom and you're just talking and you're explaining something, showing some slides. So those are some kind of things. So so sometimes it's really easy, like GNA, super uh, you know, receptive, sales, super respect, uh, receptive. Again, having been a marketer and also having marketing roles, most of these people are reporting to me, so they have to listen to me anyway. So it was also like, so that becomes kind of easy, easy to kind of get to. Engineering is sometimes a tough one because of, of personalities, because of just how busy they are. And sometimes I just let that kind of happen slowly. 
and surely, and, and a lot of times I give them a lot of credit early on in, in, in the outbound and, and the things they say is like, engineering team's amazing. They did this awesome stuff. They're cranking on this stuff. I love these guys. They're like, they're geniuses, you know? And then they're like a little receptive, you know, the next time I need to get something from them, they'll, 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 they'll answer the Slack message. Right. So it's uh you know, it's a bit of um, it's a bit of social engineering. Uh, I've been kind of lucky that my background and then having multiple roles and having even people that knew me in my role have kind of followed me at companies and that's been really easy. So, you know, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of luck, a little cheating there, but uh, but also just being being gracious and wanting to listen and just constantly, you know, tell me, tell me more. Oh, this is fascinating. You know, I'm, you know, and and really giving people, uh, you know, a, a, a real ear, not just like waiting to talk and say, well, what about this? You know, not even saying anything the first few times you talk to them, just learning has been really, um, really good at establishing a good rapport with, with a lot of those departments you want to interact with to get the right amount of information to start creating your stories and doing it in a way where they're not just, they're not either just dumping it off to you without any, taking any time or explanation. And they're not doing it in a way where uh, they're dumbing it down too much that you can't really get good stuff out of it, you know? So uh, so I've been kind of lucky in being able to build that kind of rapport, like I said. Gosh, lots of really good stuff in there. Thank you for that. The main way I've gone to dev, like from a, or engineering from a functional perspective was usually through product. You know, they're kind of, product kind of serves that function at some level anyway, you yeah. know, like liaison, translator, et cetera. Um, Outside of like more, you know, all company stuff or some of like the high level why rah-rah, you know, fuller team thing. And then that sometimes provokes one-on-one -on -one conversations with individuals within that team or leaders within that team. Um, but I've always used product as the primary conduit on like a role. Yeah, basis. there are. Yeah, they're great. Like I used to do a bi-weekly meeting where we just come together and talk about the release. It was, it, there was a lot of check boxes. I had a project manager. And we kind of double teamed with that. She was amazing. And like, she would help me with a lot of that. But I came in and having like the product marketing like hat, as well as the evangelist hat to then always bring this up to like, what's the great story here? And getting product to think about that. And engineering would show up to that too. And, and seeing them kind of start to think about it. You know, I'd even pull like, it's, this is such a crazy thing, but I would pull engineers into our Toastmasters meetings that we would do like every other Thursday because they were like, because then they start to get good at storytelling and they want to learn and they want to get that. So they, so it was really like creating this esprit de corps around all that was was really exciting. So I agree with you, like product was the kind of linchpin there uh, and, and that that liaison that really does help. But then when you break through, it can be really exciting, too. And getting these guys wanting to be better uh, storytellers is always cool. Yeah, trust and motivation and excitement. Um, let's go straight to Annuitus. Like, how did you find them? How did they find you? Um, and how did this shape up head of research and chief evangelist? Like start that off and I'll yeah push you around a little bit in that topic. Yeah. Zone. So, um, I was, I was looking for a new challenge and I'm always, you know, I'm a, I re I rely on my network a lot because I like working. I like working with people. I know people I trust people, people who have great vision and the CEO of Annuitus, uh, Adam Needles, I work with him almost 20 years ago for a, a while at 451 Research. So he was like the CMO of the analysis firm and I was covering like go-to-market technology. So we always got each other. And then Adam wrote a book and, and and did some really cool events and my, you know, at Sugar and other things. And even when I was back at 451, I would, I would attend some of these and I would sponsor them and that type of stuff and speak uh, as, as both a 
a kind of vendor side of things talking about, you know, we, we did MarTech and we did a lot of stuff at Sugar. Uh, but then also as, you know, as I would kind of go back and forth as that, that analyst role. So when Adam found out that I was kind of looking for a new challenge, he, uh, he said, hey, look, you know, we've done, you know, 100 plus enterprise transformations. We've got really cool data sets. So we've got this cool quantitative, uh, uh, you know, side of things. But you bring this interesting like background of like of go to market experience of being, you know, a head of strategy and marketing at all these companies. And you've you've seen great growth. And you've seen exits. And all that. So you've got this qualitative thing where you're actually like where you were an analyst before. Now you've even got more real trenches experience. And whereas analysts kind of always like either take the vendor's word for it or they or they don't really get a lot of end user interaction. We've got that. So we're like, we've got this really cool thing, right, where we've got great data. We've got great minds because even the consultants and 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 our network of like ex you you know clients and and current clients there's a lot of like repeat business so to speak right so you get all this uh, kind of cool stuff right so um, the uh, you know putting that all together we put together annuitous research we've got you know new advisory things that are you know rather than doing those boil the ocean transformation or not rather but in addition to you know some people you know there's companies that need to totally rethink their go to market and then there's people that just need to rethink a little bit right and i kind of said the same words right but you can see the 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 devils in the details and the subtlety there so so building out these uh both research based but like kind of like shorter term advisory based concepts has been really fun. Now, what do I need to do as a chief evangelist, right? A, need to bring wider uh, uh, awareness of annuitous as a brand. It's it's well known, but it, it can, you know, can always be bigger, right? Uh, in terms of our scope and, and our reach. But also this pivot to these really cool advisory services, both internally to our consultants, to our data scientists, to GNA, to everybody, right? Uh, and then to our existing clients and then building out thought leadership and and even go to market events uh, and things that we're doing in this cool roadshow that we've been doing over the last few months, uh, you know, about what we're doing uh, for, you know, this this kind of pivot. So there's been a lot of stuff to evangelize. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff to just bring to market. So it's been really an exciting time, both for myself coming in, but really uh, kind of joining Adam and, and both of us. Uh, and with, you know, obviously with, with a lot of other people helping us inside Annuitous, kind of doing this really interesting pivot to bring the expertise that we have to a broader set of people who aren't either ready or don't need to do what like a McKinsey type, you know, those types of big transformations that we'll do for go to market. We can we can do some spot checks. We can do org stuff. We can, you know, so being able to do that now, start to productize that and evangelize that we're just scratching the surface. But it's been a really fun time because we're making believers of the of the employees and at the same time really starting to evangelize it out there. We started it with a book. He and I co-wrote a book called the Chief Growth Officer's Handbook. So again, like that's kind of stating this whole new, like we call it a go-to-market operating system, right? Rethinking that and how we can help people change their mindset before they do any crazy consulting work. We can really just start to get them down that path and really start helping them with much more low impact, low risk, you know, easy time to value type stuff. So, you know, building that out, you know, starting with the book, starting, like I said, like with this roadshow and now creating new advisory services that we've literally just launched I think like a, a week ago, and we just put out some new um, syndicated research. I think that came out today, this morning or yesterday. So we're really doing some really cool stuff around that. So it's been exciting. It's been a whirlwind, but there's a lot to evangelize. So it makes that that part 
you know, that's the easy thing. When you have a lot of stuff to say, that's great. But when you're at a company that's a little more like, all right, we don't really do stuff maybe once, once or twice a year, we kind of put new product out. You're like, what, what am I supposed to go out there and evangelize, <laughs> right? So it's been easy. That part's been easy here because we're doing a lot. Yeah, I feel the whirlwind and the excitement from you. Um, I want to get into the book and like why a book um, yeah. and what the process was like for you. But before I do, um, I would love to hear just like high level um, kind of the arc of innovation around this. Like what do people like, like what were you trying to do not with the book functionally as a piece. I do yeah. want to get into that, like real, because I, I think a lot of people think about like, ah, oh, maybe we, maybe we should write a book to kind of develop and advance our point of view about what's wrong with the blah, 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 blah. Right. But, I, but I would love for you to kind of give that a little bit, like what's misunderstood or missing in the go-to-market conversation at large that you all, that you personally are really excited to talk to people about that's creating some of those, some, a change in belief or a new light bulb moment, like, yeah. oh, well, I, you know, I hear go to market every time I turn around, I see it every time I, you know, open, you know, Kellogg insights or HBR, but like you, you have turned me on in a unique way. Like what's the state of go to market where this idea of go to market transformation is something that still needs talking about and right. how, do, how maybe does Nuitas see it differently such that you need to evangelize it in a particular way? Yeah. So, I mean, it all comes back to, there's a couple of things. We, we, we have this kind of almost like mantra, right? Go to market falls apart in execution, right? And, and that's the reality, right? And, and especially if you're trying to do it in a way where, you know, you really are trying to bring things together or you're trying to do those like sales and marketing alignment, like those types of things. And it's like really, really um, way more difficult than people think, right? Because people think, you know, in the old school, we call them random acts of marketing, right? Like you make a um, you make a campaign and then you see if it works and then you scratch it because it didn't work as well as you wanted. And then you try something else or you say like, well, this is how we were going to score our leads and we're not going to talk to them until they hit this level. But then it comes towards the end of the quarter and you're like, ah, just talk to every lead, right? And, yeah. and that's that's horrible, right? It shouldn't have to be that way, right? So how do you, you know, so, so go to market is kind of broken in a way, right? Because people still think like that way too much, right? And, and when you think about growth, and, and, and we call it lift, right? Like, you know, revenue lift, but because it kind of comes from different areas, right? Um, if you really want to build a strategic plan, it needs to, you know, it needs to account for, again, these different stages of the journey, right? Because now we've gone into just what we were talking about at the beginning, like as we're in this like SaaS subscription, everything is a service, retention, blah, blah, blah economy. A lot of industries have, have done crazy transformation, right? You know, software went from being manufacturers, right? To being like actual like delivery people, right? Which they weren't before, right? There was, there was channels and there were all these types of things. And it, it really did change, you know, a lot of that changed. So what happened was, you know, first they changed like the business model, right? You went to subscription. And then they had to change like the underlying infrastructure and technology to be able to deliver stuff over the internet, right? So, so kind of ops and DevOps and all that kind of happened. They changed how they recognized revenue, right? They, then they realized they had to build customer success because we had to go out and renew and expand and do all these types of things. But what kind of got forgotten in that is like, well, how do we bring this all together? And how do these kind of buckets, this like what used to be kind of pre-sale, what is now kind of like, you know, marketing and sales and then customer success and support. 
All that drives growth, it drives revenue, it drives really important metrics, but nobody brings it together well, like shockingly. We gave a, a keynote, Adam and I, in Chicago, I think back in like May, and we were talking about this, what we call converged growth, of really bringing together that orchestration around the journey for pre and post sale. And, and I've been evangelizing a lot around this, this converged growth mindset. And I thought people were going to just be like glazed over and be like, duh, right? Of course. Like, why are you guys even bothering with, like, this is so, everybody knows this. You, you know, you kind of have that fear before you go and give a keynote speech. People ran up and said, we never thought about this like this. This is, this is awesome. Even agencies were like, can you help us like help our clients think about go to market in, in this way? Because so many people are still in what I would call legacy marketing models, which typically rely on random acts of marketing. They rely on the wrong metrics or, or let's say incomplete metrics, right? And, and then they don't really account for growth. Like how many times does a marketing team think, hey, we hit our lead number. And, and they all, yay, and pat ourselves on the back. But the company misses its quarter by 20, 30%. Well, marketing may have done its job in some way, but did it really? Because if these were great leads and they were truly qualified, they were truly all these things, sales probably wouldn't have had as much trouble. Now, now of course, that's not perfect science or anything, but... But it, but it speaks to the problem, right? We need to have these like shared growth concepts because if you're not putting that together that way, you're not going to, you're just not going to achieve the kind of lift and type of growth. You're going to keep doing those weird things like say, we're going to grow 20% this year. It's like, well, why? How? Why Why 20%? Like, why is that number? How, what did you do last year? And what is the connection there, right? Is that feasible? Is that reality? Are you, are you crazy, right? Because that happens, right? Companies get bought by P private equity or venture capital invests and says, this is what you should do. And they think we have to get to this rule of 40 or this or that, you know, and it doesn't make any sense for their business. Finding rational, you know, strategic and honest growth numbers, you know, realistic. That's what we're talking about. So we put this chief growth officers book together really to kind of educate people and get people thinking about it. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not like a, you know, a Gutenberg or anything like, that. you know, it's, you know, a hundred pages or something. So it's quick to get through. And it really does kind of hit on those big things like the KPIs that you should really be thinking about. Uh, thinking about growth as, as, as an office rather than it's not a CRO's job because they typically think of new deals and all that. So we've got a lot to evangelize and just changing the way people think about even how their, their organization approaches growth, but even like the, the org chart of like who's responsible for growth and how do you build those, those shared growth models that actually are more likely to get uh, achieved than more finger pointing at the end of the quarter, right? Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect, Engage, Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelists, let's get back to it. Yeah, typically I would not go so deep into the <laughs> concepts you're evangelizing, honestly. Yeah. But every evangelist, whether chief evangelist or some other position, needs to be in this conversation and see herself or himself in this conversation in order to, you know, I mean, you mentioned the tenure of a CM, CMO at 18 months, you know, I, I've, a number of folks who've been on the show are not evangelists anymore for a variety of different reasons, but like, 
I think the closer we can get to growth, understanding this and participating in it, the better off we are. Um, so to kind of reset for about four and a half years, I hosted a show called the customer experience podcast. And I felt really good in hindsight at when I started a show with such a simple and basically authoritative, if not plain name. Um, and one thing I observed over that time period, um, which was, you know, 2019 to, you know, 2023 ish mid 2023, um, was that the the rise in popular conversation around customer experience was kin to the rise of popular conversation around CRO, uh, a role you already mentioned, Chief Revenue Officer, for those who aren't all in on this. Um, and I observed that they were around the same thing, which is essentially the spirit of your keynote, which is we know what needs to happen, but we're lacking kind of the coordination and vision to bring it all together. So some of this language and then some of, you know, the operationalizing it a little bit mm -hmm. um, comes to pass. And I, I want to make one more observation then give it back to you to kind of really speak to this chief growth officer role and, and the org structure around it and, and kind of your vision for it, because I haven't read the book yet, but I will. Um you know, you mentioned CRO very often gets positioned as, as sales and marketing. Um, and I would observe the same in my mind. CRO should be revenue. Should, CRO should include retention and expansion. CRO should close the gap where customer success has all these stories and all these insights and all this feedback. It's not just enough to know that we produce good leads as marketing that sales was able to convert. But of the sales we converted, which ones are actually really good customers? And yeah. how did that feedback loop get back to sales and marketing? Like, to yeah. me, CRO should be CGO in this scenario. But I would also observe, I went through a 13-week um, course. It was the chief CRO school um, with a very well, a really fantastic organization called Pavilion. And only one of 13 weeks was dedicated to CS. So like I, yeah. the reality of the situation is exactly what you observe. So I'm just kind of plussing that up a little bit and also then observing that there is room for a chief growth officer conversation because this coordination needs to happen. Tell me a little bit more about the chief growth officer role. Um, who needs it? Who doesn't? Um, where does it, I would assume it reports to a CEO, probably best on paper. Yeah. Um, but where does it fit with some of the other tradi traditional um, organizations within most companies, like a marketing org, org or a sales org or a CS org or a product org or whatever? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, first off, you know, not everybody needs that to be a, a role, but it should be like a committee or mindset, right? Like, okay, good, fair. Accounting, yep. accounting for shared growth among your, your marketing, your sales, customer success, you know, and, and how do you build that out and create what I would call like a growth plan, right? So it could be a person, it could be, it could be those the, the CRO, the, you know, but it's definitely C level. If if your if your organization is large enough to have a C suite, it could, in a sense, depending on what kind of industry business model, it might replace a CRO, it might replace a CMO, or you might realize that if you do the CGO office right, you don't need those because a VP of marketing you know, a VP of brand marketing, a VP of product marketing, you know, a demand gen leader, um, a, a VP of sales, blah, 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 might roll up to that, right? Uh, a, a head of customer success, you don't need a chief customer officer, right? Possibly, I'm just saying. But it's really, you know, what you, when you look at what a CRO is, 
It's usually someone who came from sales and their, their mindset is new business to the detriment of customer success uh, and, and, and really the farming that you need to do to be successful in today's, in today's world. CMOs think about leads. They, they, they think about generating leads and interest and, and, and engagement and that kind of stuff. And, and, and super important. But again, that, that success model of like being able to shift that persona like modification around like who's our user so that we can absolutely send them engaging things so that they feel great about using our product, whatever it is, and they use more of it. Marketing strangely doesn't do that well, right? Not historically. I mean, it's, it's rare to see it done well because they think about net new leads that they that they hand over to sales eventually, right? That's their life cycle. They don't think in the in the infinity loop very well, or at least not historically, right? So the CMO is not a great person. A chief customer officer usually winds up that way because they come from like professional services or support. And they're very like and I don't want to say this in a bad way, but they're very like service oriented, right? They're really about like what, like giving the customers everything they ask for and making them happy. And that's, that's great, but it's like, you're not good at, at quid pro quo and like getting value out of it, you know? So, and I'm not like some people are, but, but these are like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making generalizations and someone's going to say, I know an exception, but you're probably right for the other five I've ever worked with. Right. So, so where does it come from? What, what we're finding is there's this really interesting thing when people rise up to get like growth oriented roles, like at a high level that come from ops, especially like what, what is now revenue ops, not sales ops, but revenue ops, they're really fitting an interesting mold because they're data oriented, they're strategic, uh, they're usually um, good at um, interacting because in this new world, they're dealing with sales. They're dealing with finance. They're dealing, you know, they they're really good at multi multimodal and multi departmental kind of interaction, and and they and they get it. They get that strategic idea of looking at these things, looking at the numbers, and saying this is the growth plan, and I can guarantee it because I'm also I'm looking at regression and I'm looking at analytics and I'm using AI and I'm doing all this cool stuff. And I can say it's it's not 20% because you pulled a number out of the air. It's 17. And what would you wouldn't you rather be accurate than hopeful, right? Even sometimes. Or it's like, look, let's say, because then if something, because this is to get really dug into it, you know, because I've been interviewing a lot of people for the book and for other things, is the ops type people say, like, yeah, like if I know it's going to be 17 and I can do a pretty fairly good accuracy for the next quarter, and even like kegger that, like, what are we going to do for the year? I can say, look, let's say. 15's our goal. And people don't start getting fired unless we do 12. Because when we do 17, everybody's really happy. And look at that. that. They're even like beyond strategic, right? They're really thinking about it from like almost a like company culture. And it's really fascinating. So, so those ops types, you know, a, a certain type of ops person becomes a really interesting growth officer, right? Growth leader in that regard. They, they have this interesting mix of skills. And we've been doing these panels around the country. And that comes out a lot, even without me like feeding it. I'm not leading the witness, right? Everyone comes out and they say, you know, I say, who do you think it should be? And I have, I've got like, I've got commercial types, I've got marketing, I've got support, you know, and, and services. And they also, and they all kind of come to ops. They're like, yeah, I think ops people are really good for this. Yeah. It's, it's especially the key thing that you offer there. I don't know that you said it explicitly, but it was obvious throughout um, is when you have this, you know, a, a business consultancy inside 
um, that RevOps function versus, you know, it's a it's really a Salesforce admin who's or a sugar admin. Yeah, who's these actually are a glorified, you know, RevOps person. Um Really quickly, give me a quick go at the book. Like, when did you decide that uh, and how perhaps that, okay, we have all these ideas. We want to communicate this. We want something authoritative. I assume now I'm kind of answering my own question. But like, um, why a book and what was the approach and um, and how did you co-write it or, or yeah. co-author it? Or like, how did that work? So, yeah, it's interesting because I'd never co-authored something this big before, right? I either do it myself or I start and then I don't finish because it's hard. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we were really, we weren't even going to write the book till like next year. So when we were actually like plotting out what we were going to do, like, you know, what what's the, what's the you know, the 30, 60, 90 and beyond, right? First six months of, of when I started working back in like uh, beginning of, uh, of the year, the book was kind of tabled. But what wound up happening was we kept having these really good like, narrative ideas for like epic blog posts and we realized we're like wait a minute these are chapters of the book so we kind of started creating a table of contents so our editorial calendar of the blog kind of doubled as the as the as the table so what we did was we did like we did like light versions for the blog and and we kind of picked and said like okay adam you do this one i'll do this one and we and we went through that then we added, and then by the time we kind of got to the end, we realized there's like there were like sidebars and chart and all these kind of things that might weren't on the blog, you know, extra chapters, things like that 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 need to be more like expository writing that wouldn't make sense in the blog. And we and we and we we met and doled that out, right? And uh, and then we we edited and edited. We're each, we're actually in the same. I don't know if a book has had a second edition this fast. I think we published it at the end of May, June. It's already in its second edition because we added like. Maybe even another chapter. We added a lot to some of the sidebars and things, um, and some of the, some of the uh, charts and visuals. But it's you know it was really just kind of like so frenetic because we realized these these ideas kept coming, and we said you know the, we realized we were we weren't ahead of ourselves because first we thought well if we do the book we'll be ahead of ourselves. Let's do all the stuff and then the book will drive like awareness once we set the table for the new advisory service and blah, 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 and the newest research. But we realized was we needed a stake in the ground. We needed to have a foundational thing that said, this is our this is what we think about the chief growth officer. This is what we think about this converged growth mindset uh, that we talk about of really bridging that pre-sale and post-sale for go-to-market uh, in new ways. And we said, we need a kind of foundational thing for that. And the book really filled that role well, especially one that's like super readable, and and we're not going to go out there and sell it, right? We're going to make it free to everybody to get. So it, you know, it's been really, really great when we do these in-person events. You know, you've got, you know, we try to keep them tight because again, we're a consultancy. At the end of the day, we can't work with like thousands. We're not a software company, right? Uh, you know, but you have fifty some odd people who come up and say, "I read the book. It's awesome. Like, I want to talk to you about this, right?" And it's so it's it's been a, a conversation starter in every way we wanted it to be in more. Uh, and also obviously like a lead generation, you know, Marketo did a really great job with that, with like the definitive guide to marketing, whatever, marketing automation. And that became like something, you know, and we kind of, it's kind of like that for us, right? It becomes this really nice foundational element that starts conversations, gets people to know who we are, how we think, how we look at the world um, of go-to-market. So it kind of came together that way. And it was strange how quickly like we just started like ripping at it. It was like, okay, I did this chapter. I did this, you know, and it was like the edit process was kind of like crazily long because we had so much stuff so fast that we were like, you know, 
we kind of started almost like overwriting each other. We're like, well, well, should this be in this chapter? Should we rip this out? So it became an interesting edit process to turn it into like a nice cohesive book, but it was a really fun process. And, you know, uh, Adam and I think very similarly, but we have like different voices. So, so kind of bringing us to have, uh, a cohesive voice throughout was probably the hardest part of the editorial process. I'll say. Yeah. yeah. Lots of good stuff in there. So the, uh, first of all, that, 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 what I regard as just a cheap shot at most business books, um, is like, eh, it should have been a blog post. No, actually it's a collection of a lot of really good blog posts. And instead yeah. of having to figure out what order to read them in and go find them all. Um, the yeah. first book that I co-authored, uh, with my longtime friend and team member, he was my CMO at the time. Um, was, a, was a collection of most important ideas, greatest hits from webinars, case studies, uh, blog posts, and all these other things we had published. We brought it together in like a logical way to walk someone into the ideas kind of from start to finish. And so there's a lot of work that goes into it. You could say, well, this is just repurposed content. Well, yeah, and you're welcome because it's repurposed in a very thoughtful, well-constructed yeah. way. The way that the way that we got the individual voice is like I did all the writing. He flew directly over me and was like, you know, what about this? Here's some research on that thing. We need a better story here. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about like kind of a thing? So like we we kind of cheated on the one voice thing by having one primary writer, but like really yeah. co-working it together. I could see it working a variety of different ways. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there was a book I was. I was kind of in the process of writing when I, I wound up leaving Sugar CRM for a couple of years to do some startups and and, and a little stint as, as an analyst, then came back almost two years later. But when I, I was really into like the, the, the early days of blogging, I had a blog called CRM Outsiders and I was like super prolific on it. And not everyone was like a great thing, but I was, I wanted to pull 365 great posts and, and call it like, like, like a year of like CRM insider, some maybe less lame. I forget. I had a good title, I swear. <laughs> but I just never did the work because for two reasons. One, it was like, it was kind of hard because you do want to make it a little bit better. You don't just want it to just, it's not a cut and paste job 365 times. Yeah, no. Be a little more cohesive, more thematic. And, but then I also like felt like I'm like, I'm just, I'm just taking the, you know, it's like my greatest hits from the blog and people can do that. And, and I, and I second guessed myself. And then when I left, like the blog kind of went into disarray and I came back and I brought it back a little bit. Uh, and then I just didn't have the time to blog as much there. And I think I missed the opportunity for another kind of title under my belt, but, uh, but yeah, but it's cause people will, will read that and like it because you don't want to have to click 365 times to find a thing that's, you know, there and, and you, you definitely will take the time to edit it and make it better the second time around as well. You know, there's always, especially for business blogs, the, I have a day job, so I can't make this as great as I'd like it to be. You know, there's always like the, the last paragraphs are always terrible. Cause you're like, I got to finish this. I've got a meeting, right? Yeah. <laughs> So good. Okay. I want to bring it back to evangelism as you're, yeah. as you personally are talking with leaders, no matter the title or the position, you know, as you're, as you're out, whether it's formally, you know, in kind of a consultative conversation or whether it's more casually with people you've, you know, gotten to know throughout your career, how are you advising them around evangelist positions? Because I'm sure you've held a, a few of them now. Uh, people ask about it. Like, how are you advising who should be thinking about this and how might they be thinking about it? Yeah. I usually think of like, you know, I talk to people a lot because I've got a lot of experience with like challenger sale, uh, the old CEB stuff. So when I, when challenger companies like ask me, they're like, well, what's one way to, to kind of differentiate? And I say like, look, you know, 
a lot of times people think of like analyst relations and my world's mostly tech. So if, if you're kind of outside of tech, I apologize if this doesn't sound as germane, but like talking to the gardeners of the world, talking to the far, you know, like analyst relations is typically like there's an AR person. And usually when people hire AR people to just do that, like those AR people don't always do the briefings and you get like product people to do it. So it's like, when I think about it, it's like, if you're really trying to differentiate, I say like, you, you can hire like a great, like ex analyst. Cause I was, you know, so I have that world. So you hire that ex analyst to be your evangelist because then when you're talking to the, cause that's a big important part for certain tech companies in certain niches to get noticed, to get out there, to get, you know, to get legitimized, to get, you know, to, to show what they're doing and to get some authority in the space, if not just coverage. Right. And the ex-analysts know how to tell the stories. They know how to tell the angles. They know how to put it in ways that the other analysts know. And they can talk to journalists, too, because a lot of them get that, too, because a lot of them are quoted. And they talk to journalists. They, they're always usually in that ARPR pool at events and things like that. They all talk to each other. So I talk to people a lot about that, you know, and say, like, that's that's a thing to be thinking about. But when I when I talk to people, you know, in certain industries, like, do, do you need an evangelist or not? I mean, Always, it's it's never a bad thing if you if you can afford it, so to speak, if you can have the salary, because it should be someone who's a little more senior, because that's the problem is it's kind of like, um, you know, when, when companies have like business development reps and they're all like young kids and they don't do great. And people are like, why aren't we doing great? It's because like, you're not training these people properly and you're just throwing people with no experience to the wolves. It's like same idea with an evangelist. Like, don't just get somebody who was like in product marketing to be your evangelist. Right. Someone's got to have already shown some you know, some of the skills, some of, you know, pizzazz or, or the, the Riz, whatever the kids call charisma now, the Riz, uh, you know, you got to have something there. And, and there's, there is some je ne sais quoi about it. Um, and, and if you can afford it, do it right. Right. You can't half-ass it. And one of the things that is always kind of like, I've always wondered how much better of like a product marketer I've been if I wasn't the chief evangelist and vice versa, because I would have loved to have just been the evangelist side of things and not run you know, product marketing for like three product lines at companies that I did. Cause that, that takes up obviously a, a lion's share of your time. And then the evangelist stuff doesn't get taken as seriously, both by yourself, it becomes second shift, so to speak. And when you're doing all this other stuff, people are going to keep that on you and say, well, if the evangelist stuff is to go by the wayside a bit, it's like, yeah, but, but, but I'm working on these releases. Like I wish I could, I need to be doing a better job of that because the outbound stuff that we want to do, that's really where the, the rubber's going to meet the road and where the effect is going to, is going to be the, the, the best. Right. So it's, you know, so I try to tell people, it's like, if you can do it and have that person just be that, don't try to, don't try to double up and have a, you know, get two, two, you know, one person for the two salaries, you know what I mean? So to speak, or the, whatever the opposite is, you know, two salaries for, the, for one person. Um, it's, uh, you know, it really have someone dedicated to it because the things that, you know, I'm a, if you could probably notice, I'm a little quick and, and kind of energetic and, you know, frenetic, you know, so I, like I'm hyper productive. So I, I, I've always been able to kind of juggle the two, but not everybody can do that. And, and if you've got somebody that's got that great kind of personality, great storytelling, kind of stuff, have them do that and then just incentivize them to just amplify that voice, amplify that voice. Don't have them be also a product manager or also a this or that, because it does take away. Like, I wish I didn't have to do that. Um, sometimes it would really be cool to just be the chief evangelist. And, and if I can tell, you know, it's like, do as I say, don't do as I do. But, uh, but that's the kind of things I tell people. That's some of the advice I give. Yeah, that's really good. I do feel like head of research pairs much more nicely with a pure evangelist role than yeah, I mean, that's you know, like a hardcore lovely. operator where you've got an organization that reports to you. Um, 
because at the risk of running long, uh, but because you, uh, because I think you have a really unique perspective on it because of your background, um, I want to offer like a, an objection or a pushback and just have you speak to it for a minute, which is belief. I'm just going back to your initial response. Belief. It's impossible to model or is it? Um, how do we know that this evangelist thing is working? It seems like I get that, that we might be able to create some leverage with a position like this, but I don't know if it's working and I don't know if it's worth the investment. Look, that's a really fair point, right? Now, if, if you like, if you build off like your differentiate, like there's two ways you can, you can do what I'm saying, right. And, and measure it. Right. Uh, and I'll give you more more anecdotal measurement, uh, but if you really do go off the differentiators of the company, and then you you start to see like people steal your language, your competitors, uh, you start to see people uh, overbidding on your keywords, right? That kind of stuff. That that you're making progress there, right? Now the other way is if you are like just relentless. Uh, and you make people believe you can sometimes do like too good a job. Like at sugar, I was doing thought leadership and evangelism about things like mobile CRM and, and like predictive and like all this stuff, like way before, like our product even had any of that stuff. So when the analysts would start like putting us up in these reports, as like being good at this stuff when we didn't really even have it, like, you know, people were believing what you're saying. Like you're, yeah. you're doing a good job, maybe, maybe for worse than better, but like you, so, I mean, there's these types of things where you really can start to measure it out where like you do start to see like, yes, it's making an effect because we're not just also rands. We're not just me too's. If, if the differentiators are popping out and that language is starting to get used, you know, that's the type of things where, you know, I would, I would do a lot of like three point messaging at sugar. And there were times where I would put this stuff out there and I, and I, and I really, really lay it on with the press and with the analysts. And then like a few months later, I'd come back and people, other analysts would share things and be like, Hey, a competitor of yours just sent me this. And like their analyst newsletter was like the three bullets that I was saying over the last six months, you know, about their stuff, but they were, you know, so you, you get it that people are like, Oh, they're really doing that. That's stuff, you know, so you can really start to see where the, um, you know, where the tentacles are kind of finding, you know, some, 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 uh, you know, finding home there. Like it's not impossible. Right now, again, like, is there a guarantee, you know, not always. And again, it always depends on, like, like I said, how relentless you are and, and, and how good the message is. And, and if your differentiators are defensible and that type of stuff, it's kind of like saying like, you know, a CMO says to the team, go make a viral video. Right. What does that mean? Right. So it's the same idea, right? Like, I'm, I, there isn't, a, there isn't an exact science. There's no formula to it, but if you follow certain kind of structures and, and, and certain things and you have a certain kind of personality and, and you hire the right people to be your evangelist and you got the good stories and you have, you can back up your differentiators and, and, and you're relentless, uh, you, you can start to measure it. You can really start to see that people get it, you know, especially when like, you start to see like the users of the product, the people that weren't at like the marketing events, the people that weren't on the web, you know, when they start to say, oh yeah, like that thing, you know, it's like, oh yeah. You, when you really start to see it bleed into like sub levels that that's, yeah, that's when you know it's working. 
Yeah, a lot of really good things and some things we haven't talked about on the show before to look for as signs of effectiveness. You also like underneath all of that, I I was hearing um, trust and relationship uh, seasoned, a seasoned person. Um, I think most of the roles that happen happen the way, not exactly the way you described yours at Annuitus, but in that way, they're they're almost exclusively bespoke. Yep. Between people who have some respect or working, whether whether it's we're taking this person inside our organization and, and appointing them to this because we think it's important enough to do. I have trust and confidence that we should be doing more of this. So I'm going to take the right person to do it. Anyway, a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, Martin, this has been awesome. I've super enjoyed it. We could probably go another hour, but we're not going to do that today. But yeah. before I let you go, I would love to have you share something that you evangelize in your own personal life, or perhaps have been accused of evangelizing by people close to you. So, yeah, like I was, I was going to, there, there's so many things like I, I used to, I used to evangelize on like sports, like the teams that I really like. And then I realized like you can, you can use statistics to like, you know, you know, it was like, you can use statistics to prove anything. 40% of all people know that. Right. But, uh, it's, uh, but one of the things that I got really like, uh, crazy about early in my life is motorcycling. So, and there's some people that just do not want to like hear about, like, not only just hear about it, but like telling people about like, cause I build and I restore like old, you know, 50 year old Harleys and stuff, but I also take them on like long trips. And like, so being able to tell those stories about those trips and all that, like, it's fun for me and having people that like, don't normally care about motorcycles be like, Kind of, kind of want to wish for that, like freedom of, like, you know, turning like the, the kind of person who's like motorcycles are death traps and blah 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 to being like, wait, so you're on the you're riding along the coast of Mexico in a sixty year old Harley? It's like, oh, that sounds amazing, you know, like you know, you really draw people in again, making them believers that, like, yeah, this isn't, you know, this isn't certain death. This is freedom, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's this kind of thing. So motorcycles have been a huge thing that I that I've been a huge proponent of, and and just the whole community, and it's it's been. Um, yeah, that's something I've definitely evangelized in my own life for maybe far too long. Uh, my family members are probably tired of hearing about it. Yeah, really well done. I really appreciate that. There's a romantic notion to it. And you even had like an aha moment, like light bulb turnaround scenario in that. That was great. Uh, for folks who've enjoyed this, Martin, and spent almost an uh, an hour with us, where would you send them to learn more about you and more about the work that you're doing at Annuitus? Yeah, I mean, you can just go to annuitus.com. You could also look up just Chief Growth Officer's Handbook. Uh, that'll bring up the, the free download uh, page. And, you know, you can just learn a lot about that. There's there's a contact us. We're always happy. Like I said, we're we're trying to make it easier for people to do better with their go-to-market. So if you contact us, you know, we it's not like some big McKinsey, some big, you know, EY. Like, it's not like Accenture anymore. We're really trying to make these, like, fast, really cool uh, time to value. So it's it's a, it's a really new, cool time for us. So, you know, check out Annuitus, and, and we're happy to talk to you. Cool. Sounds good. Wherever you are listening to this, there's a link in the description of this episode, wherever you, if you're watching this on YouTube, that is the only place to watch it. Uh, there's a link to that uh, immediately, Jason. I'll also link up the book. Uh, Martin, I appreciate you so much. This was super fun. I love your energy. I love what you're up to and you are in the right place doing the right work, I feel like. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me, Ethan. This has been a lot of fun. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. -E -E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.